This is Give Me Some Truth, a podcast from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. You gotta leave your money behind you. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Today, Nate, we're going to enter a topic that I think some of the other guys in our office were a little uncomfortable with the title of, but I'm pretty sure that this is going to be a good one. It's going to be gold. I don't know. Gold, Jerry. Gold. (laughs) It's gold. Yes. uh, The title of this is what, Nate? Facts don't care about your feelings. It sounds kind of harsh. It does sound kind of harsh. We should probably should clarify what we mean by that. No, I don't think we should. It's just, it's just we're just gonna <laughs> leave it right where it is, and just <laughs> everybody's gonna take from it what they're going to. It's gonna like song lyrics. They're not gonna define what they are. Everybody can interpret it the way they want. That's right. It's all up to interpretation. I think what we mean by that uh, is more of the idea that uh, the moves that that uh, market makes and the moves that happen in people's portfolios. Uh, don't necessarily correspond to how that individual investor feels about the market and what's going on. Yeah, I think we get really myopic in how we look at things. And we also tend to extrapolate uh, current events and say this time is different. Or, you know, we just take a look at something and say, hey, this is completely out of the realm of possibility when, in fact, it's quite normal. So yeah, I think a good example of that is what happened towards the end of the year in 2018. And all of a sudden, we saw the stock market decline relatively quickly. Um, and it was a, a pretty steep correction in almost bear market in many of these different markets. And then all of a sudden, people said, oh, man, I, I can't stomach this volatility anymore. And we actually had one of our uh, clients pull out of the market during that time. And I thought it was kind of interesting that they finally said, I can't handle this volatility. And so they just unplugged themselves from the stock market and decided to go to CDs. And so, you know, every once in a while, a client will do this. And, you know, Nate and I talked to the client and, you know, had a few conversations about why they shouldn't do that, but they ultimately decided to do that. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things for us as investment advisors. When we see people make bad decisions and sometimes you cannot keep them from doing that themselves, they become so convinced of it and they let their feelings take over instead of considering the facts. Yeah, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Unfortunately, nowadays in the market, um, there's a couple of things that, that are true. One is we have to because somebody decided this, we have to put a label every single day on what happened in the market. There has to be a headline on it. So I went down 100 points today. Why? Because of X, Y, and Z. Well, was it really because of X, Y, and Z? Or is it because we have to put a, a title on it for the 24-hour news cycle and for the the 24-hour um, um, you know, market-related television shows? And so unfortunately, now that we have to label every single day in the market, what it means is that people then look at it and go, well, then it went down because of this or it had to be because of that where in a lot of cases, it's just because that's what the market did that day. It doesn't have to always be driven by a certain thing. And because it gets driven by a certain thing, then we start to have to react to what our feelings are about that thing. And then then it turns into a vicious circle of, okay, then the next day, another headline comes out and it either justifies what is our our bias already, um, which then makes us believe it even more, even though none of it might be the reason why the market sold off. The market might have sold off in December simply because the market hadn't sold off in a while and the market just needed a little bit of push down the hill before the rock started to roll down the hill. 
Yeah, and you got to look at things that that actually have the bearing on whether or not the stock market should be down. Basically, what was happening in the end of the year last year was that there was a forecast for recession-type environments going on and saying basically we're we're in a recession right now, which uh, couldn't be further from the truth. We don't have any recessionary things. I mean, things might not be as positive as they were in 2017 and 2018 as far as earnings go going into 2019, but nothing really suggested that we were on the cusp or precipice of any sort of recessionary environment. So that sell-off was overdone, um, in my opinion. And, you know, in the beginning of the year, I think we saw this uh, happen with January being a pretty strong month out of the gate, one of the best uh, Januaries we've seen in recent memory. And so I think that was that we had oversold conditions and it just corrected itself. And to make a long-term investment decision based off of a short-term Uh, correction is almost always the worst decision when we see that. I mean, oftentimes, if you don't know where the stock market is going, holding is usually your best bet. So, you know, it's just one of these situations where, I I don't know, I I get, you sort of go run through the gamut of emotions because you, you run through the gamut of emotions in that first you feel bad for the client going like, hey, you're making the wrong decision. Then you get almost angry with the client going, you know, why are you making this decision? And then you come down to this acceptance and go, well, it's it's your money. It's what you've decided to do. You, you decided that you didn't want to tolerate the volatility and what that client, unfortunately for them, they need the growth to be able to maintain their, their distributions. And uh, unfortunately, by pulling the plug, uh, it means that they're going to have to probably change their lifestyle as a result of that and take out less money because uh, they're giving themselves no opportunity for upside upside capture. Yeah, it's less about us saying, you know, be comfortable with volatility, be comfortable with loss of money. I mean, clearly that's not something that that the vast majority of humans are built with is that ability to just say, I'm okay with pain, right? I mean, most people don't like pain and that's why we have pain aversion and, and um, you know, all the other psychological effects that go into it. But what we have to realize is that if we're going to invest in the market, the market is going to dole out a certain amount of pain over certain periods of time. Like that is not an, that's not something that we can avoid. It's not something that we can say, well, okay, I'm glad that 2008 and 2009 are over because that's never going to happen again. Now it's probably going to happen again at some point, right? So the level of pain that we are willing to accept is really, uh, a huge determinant upon what our rate of return is in our portfolio over the long run. If we are willing to accept the fact that we are going to have some pain and it is going to be uncomfortable from time to time and it is going to cause us uh, some sleepless nights, then in the end, we're going to be better off for it. Uh, we're going to accept a small amount of pain for a large amount of reward. I mean, that's essentially the easiest way to explain what the market's done over the last 100 years if you break it up into 10-year chunks. Small amounts of pain, relatively speaking, uh, coupled with um, you know prolonged periods of reward. And if we can weather the, the pain, we, we get the fruits of the reward. And that, that at the end of the day is, I mean, in a way, you, can almost, you could draw you know, 100 different analogies to it. And, and obviously, I, I, if you know me at all, know that I like to explain things with analogies. But you know, I mean, if we, if we actively go to the dentist on a regular basis, it's going to be painful from time to time. But for the most part, it's not. It's going to be our normal check-in. Everything's going to go well. But at the end of the day, we're going to end up with really good solid dental health. And it's going to make it so that we don't have these massive issues in our in our mouth and in our dental health, right? Same thing within the market, right? If we just understand that from time to time, the market's going to dole out some pain, for the most part, it's going to be fine. 
Um, but if we can get through those painful periods, in the end, our portfolio will be healthier than if we try to avoid the, the painful times and predict when those are going to happen and then try to react to how to, to get around it or try to avoid it or um, have it not affect our portfolio. Just a really, really, um, really poor results have, have come from people trying to, to behave in that way when it comes to making investment decisions. Yeah, Nate, this is one of the ones where I love uh, asking people this sort of question here. You know, if we talk about the average rate of return um, in the S&P 500, and this is taken from an article by NerdWallet here, which is one of my favorites. Uh, I love NerdWallet. And uh, in here, if you get a 10% average rate of return in the market, um, you know, that's kind of the average. So between 1926 and 2014, how many times in that band, Nate, Nate hasn't seen this yet, but how many times in that band have we had an average rate of return, basically, a rate of return between 8 to 12%? How many times between 1926 and 2014 have we seen a rate of return between 8 and 12%? Okay, so let me just reiterate this back to you so that I can, as accurately as possible, look foolish. So you're saying the market over that period of time uh, roughly 85 years, somewhere in that neighborhood, Correct. has returned roughly 10%. Roughly 10% okay. average. So what they're saying is each individual year within the S&P 500, S&P 500 or Dow? I mean, nothing matters, but okay, S&P 500, right. So how many years has the S&P's year-end rate of return been between 8 and 12 if the average over that roughly 85 years has been 10? Correct. Okay. So the so the thought would be that it would be a lot, but I'm going to guess that it's not a lot. I'm going to guess in that 85 years, it's done that 10 times. You're relatively close, but it's done it six times. Six times in roughly 85 years. Yeah. So, I mean, that tells you that an average, in quotes, I mean, what does that even mean? It, it just means that the volatility of the S&P 500 is far greater than you even know. And if the S&P 500 is up about 70% of the time, it means 30% of the time it's going to be down pretty good. So, I mean, it's just one of those situations where you've got to understand the facts and how that comes into play with the averages. And, uh, you know, that fear that people feel when they see that negative 15 or negative 20% rate of return should be replaced by, well, we got that out of the way now. I probably got some better years coming in the immediate future because the stock market tends to return. Like, you know, like I just indicated, it's it's around 10%. And I also thought it was really interesting about a week ago, Nate, when you had a conversation with another client that you told them, you know, they're wondering about on their financial plan, you know, what the rate of return was, uh, you know, because they said that just seems too high. And you said, well, a matter of fact, is that it, it returns around 10% a year. This was reflecting even less than 10%. And what did that client tell you, Nate, when you said, hey, you know, the rate of returns around 10% for the stock market annually? Well, the thought was, I don't believe that it's going to do that for the future, for, for the period of time in the future. And I think that's, that's the whole gist of what we're talking about here within the podcast is, A, we have to understand that fact is fact, right? So, you know, averages and math generally don't lie. Two plus three is five. I don't care where you go in what country and what language. It doesn't matter. Two plus three is five, right? That's factual data. Factual data is factual data. It's not arguable. That's why it's called a fact. 
how we feel about that factual data can have a myriad of, 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 uh, of outcomes, right? And so that's the whole point of what we're talking about is you might feel great about something, you might feel horrible about something, but how you feel about it has nothing, will not change the fact that a fact is a fact. So if two plus three is five, it doesn't matter whether you feel great about that, horrible about that, or somewhere in between. After your reaction to that, two plus three is still five. And so that's the understanding of that. The factual uh, matrices that, that do basically run the market are what they are, whether we choose to believe them or feel good about them or not feel good about them or react to them positively or negatively. That's all how we, that's all within our control. What isn't in our control is the ability to change facts. A fact is a fact. And so when we look at the market and when guys like Clint and I talk to you about these things and we're speaking in factual data, that is what is happening. We, you could, we can decide to, to not believe it, which is okay. We can choose to not believe that it'll replicate itself in the future. That's okay too. But what we can't do is say that data is wrong because it is factual information. Unless you believe in alternative facts. Like that the world's flat. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started with flat earth people. <laughs> I like the fact that we actually have like a, a like a proper noun title now for it. Flat earth people. Correct. Like that that's that is a group now. It's not just like build on the street thinks that the world is flat. No, like this is an actual group of people. I'd kind of like to meet one and bring them on the podcast. Would you really? I don't know that you would. I think you think you would. <laughs> And I think you're going to have an interesting reaction to what happens for the next 20 minutes in that podcast is what's going to happen. That I would said, either be fascinated hey, or annoyed. That said, anybody listening that's a flat earth person, if you want to come on in. Okay. I mean, the door is closed right now because we're recording, but the door is open figuratively. Come on in and let's have a conversation. We might have to do a pre-qualification <laughs> to determine whether or not the door is actually open. <laughs> You know my feeling on the very general public. I mean, you know. Well, this is true. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and don't don't call me an elitist. Let's let's all you know. Let's all come <laughs> to an understanding here that there are some things that everybody doesn't like about the general public. You don't walk through the general public all the time and be like, these are the most wonderful people in the world. So, um, and also, I would say to your point, Nate, uh, about everything, I would say that that. We have a lot of clients that have a lot of different emotions over the stock market, and some people do believe that the stock market will return 10% a year, and a lot of people don't. And we don't know. Like The future, we have no idea what the future is. We can only look to the past as kind of a guide to the future. So we don't know whether the stock market is going to return 15% over the next 10 years or whether it returns negative 15%. We have no idea, actually. And that's the thing that financial advisors are being tasked to do. They say, okay, well, we'll predict the future. I'm like, I can't predict the future. What we can do is build your portfolio out in a way where if things happen, such as a suboptimal rate of return in the stock market, how can we defense ourselves against some of that? Like, for example, we need to add bonds or maybe you want to add alternative investments or commodities or gold or something like that. We can help people, you know, play defense in certain circumstances in their portfolio. Uh, but what we cannot do is really legitimately predict the future. All we can do is say, hey, maybe the future will rhyme a little bit. Um, you know, and we, when we compare it to the past, so 
you know, I, I think it's really important to take a look and take a step back when you're feeling bad about something in your investments. Or you see those negative statements to not cause that to make you make a rash decision. And that's also why you have to truly trust your professionals in your lives to be able to give you good investment advice or good financial planning advice or good insurance advice or legal advice or whatever types of advice it is. There's plenty of professionals out there. If you're not getting that from your professional, you need to go find one that you have confidence in. Um, provided that they're a legitimate professional. Like, I don't think you should really necessarily uh, go see an astrologer for your investments. Don't talk to your neighbor. Don't talk to your brother-in-law. Don't talk to the, you know, the, the hotshot stock person at, at work. Um, you know, the, these, <laughs> these, are, these, are, these are not professionally recognized distinctions. Brother-in-law does not qualify you to be a financial <laughs> advisor. <laughs> <laughs> every brother-in-law has got uh, a, every brother-in-law yeah, knows phenomenal that, investment that, right, track record because right, he got a right. finance degree from <laughs> Globe University and he just kills it now. Right. Right. They, all, they all are willing to help you avoid tax too, which is always an interesting distinction too. <laughs> like, I don't know that I'd follow that, that advice either. All right, here, I got a fun one for you. You've not seen this either, so I'm going to give this to you. What is the average annual high temperature in Madison, Wisconsin? Ooh. I like I'm talking 365 days, Okay, whole nine yards. We know the extremes in Wisconsin. We know the extremes in Madison. Okay, we just, we just went through extremes that we hope we never see again. But okay, what is the average? Let me say, what is the average? I don't know, I'm not even going to take high, high temperature. Is it no, high no, no, temperature no, no, or is it take that temperature? Off. Average temperature in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm getting this from usclimatedata.com. Never been to this website. I have no idea if it's legit. It sounds legit. <laughs> okay. What is the average temperature in Madison, Wisconsin? So it's just like you average even the high and low. Yes, it's just every average day. temperature. Yes. Okay, I'm going with um, ah, I'm going with fifty three point six wow, degrees. That's actually surprisingly close. Forty six degrees. Forty six degrees. The average temperature in Madison. Wisconsin. I don't even want to live here anymore. Right. That sounds right. freezing. Isn't that funny? So okay, so let's let's play this out. All right. So let's put it in financial planning vernacular or, or in scenario, right? Somebody says, because my my doctor told me that I have to live in a climate where the average temperature is in the mid forties, right? Doesn't matter how hot it gets, doesn't matter how cold it gets. I just need to live for my health to be whatever. Whatever affliction I have, it has to be 46. How many people would have said lived in Ma- live in Madison, Wisconsin? Seems I don't know like that I would have. Like Canada, that'd be I, like Alberta. I don't know what I would, where I would have told them to live. But I think the funny thing about that, what I'm trying to illustrate there is averages is something we have to be very, very, very careful with when we talk about numbers because most people don't have a good appreciation for what an average actually is, Okay. Because they know that it gets to be 95 degrees in July and it gets to be 20 below zero in January. And so if we said take an average, it's hard to believe that if the average day is 46 degrees, that at some point it could be 95 and then at some point it could be minus 20. But it is. And that's the same thing that happens in the market is it's this huge random scatter plot of data points. And average says we're drawing a line between the middle of them. And it's hard for us to believe that the average is actually what it is. Well, and because the dispersion of the data is so great too, I think that it's hard because to get into that long-term perspective means that you actually have to be a long-term investor. 
And I think that that's one of the most challenging things to investing, particularly as we get into our 40s and 50s and 60s, are that we look at these time frames and they can be 20 years long and you get in the middle of it and you feel like you're at this slog and you feel like things are different and you just have to realize that if this history continues to repeat itself, I'm going to have a huge scatter plot of data and at the end of that 20-year period, I'm going to get to the end of that. I'm going to see compounding actually work. And so that's the amazing thing about when you're an advisor. When I started in like 2001, you can actually start to see this compounding work for people. And it's incredible to see their wealth grow just almost almost overnight as they feed these 401k plans. It compounds and all of a sudden they've got wealth. And But it just takes a really long period of time and it takes a bunch of bad years in there too. I mean... If I had them in 2001, which I had a few of my clients back then, and I have them now, I mean, we went through the end of the tech bust. We went through 2008 and 2009, and then we've gone through some just weird periods of time between, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, and now, you know, and December was one of those months, you know, where we got a few more phone calls and stuff like that. And we always joke, you know, now that January's come back up, we don't get any emails anymore. You know, we don't, like people aren't calling us going like, this is awesome. You know, this January has been great. But we hear, you know, from them when, when the market's bad, like in December. And that, that just happens. I mean, that's just, we feel that loss far more than we feel that gain. And I think that's the difference there is that, that sort of loss aversion versus feeling good. You know, you feel like, oh, I just dug out of that hole that I had in December. No, you actually just had a good January, you know. You've had a good few years. It's, it's been fine. Yeah, I think that's, that's the, the crux of it right there is – you know, for people that, for people that realize that averages and data points, if averages are correct, then more time, more data points that we give to those averages means that the average just becomes stronger and more and more and more reinforced. And so even though we get these weird months that sprinkle in from here to there, it doesn't change the averages nearly as much as you would think. And so if we, but we have to be in it the whole time to get those averages. And I think that's what most people have a really hard time with. You know, again, go back to my weird analogy of the person that has to live in a 46 degree average temperature, right? They're going to freak out when the, when the temperature is minus 20 and they're going to freak out when the, when the temperature is 95, because they're not going to believe that the average is going to be 46 with those extremes, but it is. And that's the, the, the piece of it that I think it's, it's hard to get people to realize is that it doesn't matter if the market drops. 10% or 15% in one month, just as it doesn't matter if the market spikes up 10 or 15% in one month out of a 15 or 20 year plot of time. I mean, 15 years, that's 180 months. It, the averages are not going to be thrown off by one month where it was down 10 or one month that it was up 10 because that's only two of 180 plots. There's no way you're going to push the numbers enough to be able to move the averages. But if you pick and choose when you're going to be in the market and on, on those 180 months, now you've done a behavior that is going to start to mess with the averages. And it's not surprising that you are going to lag the average then because you were not in it for the period of time that you needed to be. And, and at the end of the day, the market gives us on average seven positive years out of every 10. So somebody said you can have seven great outcomes or good outcomes or, or even somewhat good outcomes against three bad outcomes out of every 10 outcomes, we'd probably do that just about every period of time. So why is it that, and when the market gives us that, and we can track that back over a hundred years, if that's the factual information on it, why is it that during those three bad years of the 10, 
we want to start doing something different, but we don't want to do something different when it's the seven positive years. Loss aversion. Loss aversion. Right there. It is. We feel those downsides way more than we feel those upsides. Right. Unfortunately, because if we could feel that sort of upside lift way more, even more people would invest in the stock market. It'd be, it'd be a, it'd be a more positive outcome as well because you know for many people's retirement plans they have to use some stock market upside in their rates of return to grow their money otherwise they they won't grow their money at best they'll pr- protect it so you need that stock market in order to uh you know grow your money in a meaningful way and have it compound so what's funny about it is that being a, a good investor however you define a quote good investor has a lot more to do with stomaching the period of time that you have to stomach to get those results and much, much, much less to do with how do I pick a bunch of winners in my portfolio? It's kind of like not eating chips every day. I would, right. I would love to sit back and eat chips every day because they're salty goodness, but you can't do it because then you just get fat. Right, right. Or if you decide to say like, hey, I know that I can cheat one day a week in my diet, right? And I'll still have good results but I'm going to decide to cheat three days one week and then one day the next week and then four days one week and then not cheat for three three weeks in a row. The diet doesn't work. It says one day a week. That's what it means. You have to do what it says and you'll get where you're trying to go. The market will give you what you're hoping for if you just do what it tells you to do. That's exactly right. Well, thanks for joining us on another episode of Give Me Some Truth. We really appreciate you guys hanging on and listening to us there and a uh, little bit of facts don't care about your feelings. So thanks for joining. And We uh, do though. We care about your feelings, even if facts don't. That's big of you, Nate. I care about your feelings. <laughs> I'll talk to y'all later. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. That's the masses of silence. Look on dead in the Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.